Well, good morning once again. You're a very subdued crowd today. Good morning once again. Come on, let's get some energy in here. You know, the Holy Spirit is here with us. And uh, he wants to pump us up. He wants to get our attention. He wants us to have our ears open to him, our eyes open to him. So, you know, sometimes the cobwebs are hard to shake off, aren't they? We need to shake off the cobwebs. You need to do it today. I'm giving you a heads up. This one's a little different. Um, if I catch you sleeping, I'm coming after you. <laughs> Let that be a warning. A little bit more classroomy today, not something that I'm, I'm used to doing. So I put in your bulletin a, a note outline. This is a good one for taking notes if you like to take notes. So let me ask you a question. You ever bitten off more than you can chew? You know the saying? Yeah. You know, many of you know that a couple of weeks ago, I went on a road trip with my sister up to Colorado. And uh, driving from the colony to Amarillo, we kept seeing these great big billboards for a 72-ounce steak. <laughs> There's a place on Route 66 in Amarillo that offers a challenge up. If you can eat the 72-ounce steak, you get it for free. But you've got to eat all the fixings and everything else that that go with it. Yeah, and I'm not sure if it's really worth <laughs> doing it. And uh, it was neat for my sister. I mean, she's over from England, and, you know, everything's bigger in Texas. And she's a 72 ounce. That's four and a half pounds of, and we're looking at a cow, you know, and she said, that's 72 ounces right there. <laughs> now, why do I bring this up? We're in a series called Bible Peeps. It's a, it, we've been looking at different characters in the Bible, looking at, at their lives, seeing how we can examine their lives and, and the things that we can learn from them that we can apply to our lives. And over the course of the uh, series, I've asked people to give me suggestions, who would you like me to do? And a number of the apostles came up, Bartholomew. And uh, for some reason, I thought it would be a good idea to do all 12 of them together. It's like a 72-ounce steak. <laughs> was not a good idea. <laughs> and, and the more I got into it, you know, it seems like a simple subject, right? The apostles, but it's not. It's actually very complicated. It's quite complex. And the more I got into it, the more it was like, oh, my gosh, how, how am I going to trim this down? Here's why it's not so simple as it seems. First off, do I call them the 12 apostles or do I call them the 12 disciples? John just calls them the 12. What's the difference between an apostle and what's the difference between a disciple? Are there still apostles? Are there still disciples? And secondly, although the Bible says there's 12 of them, when you start getting into the names, there's 14 names. 12 apostles, 14 names. It's like, all right, this is not getting any simpler. So what I'm going to try and do is keep this complex subject kind of simple. And I really want to get to kind of the end of it today because there's a simple point at the end that I really want you to, to catch. So don't come to me after the service. I'm giving you a heads up right now and say, well, Pastor Mike, you didn't talk about this. You didn't talk about that. I know. <laughs> there's only so much I can do. So that's Luke 6 verses 12, 13 says, one of those days... Jesus went 
out on the mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God, all night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Now, if you've got your notes there, just circle that word also, whom he also designated apostles. And this is where the confusion begins. First, what's the difference between a disciple and an apostle? Well, all of Christ's followers are called to be disciples, every single one of us. Right before he had ascended into heaven, Jesus said this to the apostles. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples. It gets confusing, doesn't it? I have given all authority. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the biblical definition of the word the disciple is a learner. It's a pupil. It's someone who follows after the teaching of another one. I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. John had disciples. And they listened to this. The, the rabbis had disciples. So the student was the disciple, and they would follow after the teaching. They're not just learning the teaching. They're going to seek to apply the teaching to their lives. That's what a disciple was. But it says Jesus selected 12 disciples to also be designated apostles. So you cannot be an apostle and not a disciple. Follow me on this one. But you can be a disciple and not an apostle. All right? The apostles were disciples who were set apart for a special purpose. To be sent. That's what the word apostle means. It's a delegate or a messenger. One sent forth with orders. Go do this. So Jesus called out these 12 they were disciples. He's up on the mountain all night praying. This is how important this was. He comes off the mountain. He selects these 12. You guys are being designated as apostles. You are going to join me in my work at a whole different level. Now, there are all kinds of teaching on this. In one camp, there's the idea of apostolic succession. Anyone ever heard of that? Raise your hand if you've just, a few. Okay. This is a doctrine all about authority. The doctrine of apostolic secession is the belief that the 12 apostles were given authority and that they would pass that authority on to specific other people who would pass that authority on, on to other people and so you'd have this apostolic succession. But it was authority. It meant that they were above. The word apostle was... Translated into the word bishop, my name's Mike Bishop. Bishop means overseer. So these were people who were overseers. They had authority in the church. This is where the church hierarchy comes from. The Roman Catholic Church believes that, that Jesus first gave Peter apostolic authority. He was above all the other apostles. And, when G and then Peter passed that on to someone else who passed that on to someone else. And they believe that comes all the way down to the current pope. 
and Rome being the center of the Roman Catholic Church, the Pope is the bishop, the apostle of Rome. He is the head of all the church on earth under Christ. Now, the Catholics are not the only one that believe in apostolic succession. Um, a lot of others do. Personally, I don't believe that Jesus taught on this type of authority. He taught servitude. He taught humility. You know, what did he tell his disciples? If you want to be above all, be the servant of all. There was not this authority and this hierarchy. Now, on the flip side of that, you have those who believe that the apostolic age has come to an end. That when those 12 apostles died, that was the end of the apostolic age. That was the end of all the miracles that were associated with um, Pentecost. The, the foundations of the church have been laid. We don't need apostles anymore. That's a belief that, that's pretty strong with a lot, in a lot of conservative churches. Um, Chuck Swindoll's church, just up the road here. What's it called? Stonebriar. That's their belief. I've, I've looked at their statement of faith. That's what they believe, that, that this is done, that miracles are over. I personally believe that it's presumptuous to believe that God's done with miracles. I think God can perform a miracle anytime he wants to perform a miracle, anywhere he wants to perform a miracle. He's not locked in to something that, that we come up with. So, I say all this just to give you a kind of a little bit of a background. There, there's more to this whole apostle thing than, than, than you might think. What I want to do this morning, I'm not going to get into all of that any more than I have. What I want to do is focus on the men that we commonly know as the apostles. See what we can learn from each one of them that we can apply to our lives. And we're going to go through them pretty quick and I'll got a point I want to get to at the end. Now, we know that Jesus designated 12, but there's a problem. <laughs> the problem is there's a list in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. Some of the names are the same, and some of the names are different. So we have to assume that the ones that, that are in Matthew and Mark, they agree, and the ones that are in Luke and Acts, same author, they agree that the gaps kind of fill in. So I've got a chart for you here. I don't know how easy that is for you to see. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, I'll read it from that one. <laughs> a wise pastor has his own chart <laughs> printed. So I'll go over this. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So they agree on most of them. They agree on Peter, Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, John, James's brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot. I should have got someone up here. Give them the challenge. Name the 12. Where do they vary? I've got a laser pointer on here somewhere. There it is. Matthew, oh, it doesn't show up on there. Matthew and Mark have Thaddeus. Thaddeus is not mentioned in Luke and Acts. Luke and Acts have Judas, the son of James, sometimes called Jude, who's not mentioned in Matthew and Mark. So we have to assume that Thaddeus and Judas, the son of James, are the same person. Add to that 
Bartholomew isn't mentioned in John's gospel, but he talks about Nathaniel, who's not on any of these lists. So we assume that Nathaniel and Bartholomew are actually the same person. And then I've added Judas Iscariot. They all agree on that one. And then Matthias was the, the apostle that was selected by the other apostles to replace Judas. So it's somewhat complicated. It wasn't uncommon back in those days to have multiple names. Here, here's what the problem was. The mother tongue of the Israelites was Hebrew. The Greeks had come in and taken the Holy Land years before, so the common language was Greek. Then the Romans came in and took over where the Greeks were, and now Latin. So you, and then Arabic was also spoken. So it wasn't uncommon for someone to have a Latin name, a Greek name, a Hebrew name, and possibly an Aramaic name. All meaning the same thing, but all different. So that, 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 we're going to go with that. We have nothing better. <laughs> so we've got 14 names for 12 disciples. And then Matthias added on there. So let's go through the 13 apostles and see what we can learn from. Now, the one thing that they all have in common, every single time the names are listed, whose name is number one? Simon Peter. Peter is always the first name. So we're going to start with him. And if you've got your notes, I, I, I'm going to talk about the person, and I'm going to talk about little bullet point lessons that we learn from them. Okay, so Peter, known as Simon, Simon, Peter, and Cephas. Cephas is Arama Aramaic for Peter. Peter is Greek for rock. Jesus called him the rock. So that's where his name comes from. He's a fisherman by trade. He was from the town of Bethsaida. He was Andrew's brother. He was one of the inner circle. Jesus had three men that were his inner circle, and Peter was one of those inner circle. If Peter was a state, he'd be Texas. He's larger than life and unpredictable. You never knew what you were going to get. I mean, that's Texas, isn't it? It's either drought or flood. We don't do anything in between, you know? You're either on a diet or you're eating a 72-ounce steak. I mean... <laughs> Peter talked up a storm. When, when Jesus had them all together and he says, who do you say I am? Peter was the one that spoke out. You're the Messiah. You're the chosen one of God. When Jesus told him <laughs> at the Last Supper that he was going to the cross, Peter rebuked him. <laughs> he's, you know, I, I, I'm the, he's already acknowledged that he is the Messiah. Actually, right after he acknowledged he was the Messiah, and Jesus said, oh, I'm going to be crucified. Jesus pulls it, Peter pulls him aside, tells him off. It's pretty gutsy. Kind of stupid if you ask me, but there you go. He was the one who walked on water and then sank. He was the one who jumped out of the boat after Jesus was resurrected and was on the shore cooking up some fish and bread, and, and they saw them, and Peter takes off his tunic, wraps whatever else, is, jumps off the boat, and it's Jesus. I mean, he was, he was a pretty impetuous, passionate guy. He was the one that drew his sword and, and cut off the ear of the ones that were arresting Jesus. And he was also the one who claimed to Jesus, I will die with you, Jesus. 
And yet just a few hours later, he denied three times, even knowing Jesus. He's all over the place. He was also the one that Jesus restored three times. And he was the one of which Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And that's where he became Peter rather than Simon. He's the rock. Peter was the one who preached the first sermon of the early church where 5,000 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. The same people who just 30 days earlier crucified Christ. He's probably the greatest missionary who ever lived, probably the greatest evangelist who ever lived, an absolute pillar in the church. He wrote two important books of the New Testament, First and Second Peter. And many theologians believe that the Gospel of Mark, which we believe was written by John Mark, who spent a lot of time with Peter, is actually Peter's perspective of the life of Christ, as shared to John Mark, who wrote it down. So lessons that we learn from Peter. This is where your notes. We need to be bolder. We need to be bolder. We need to speak out more. We need to act out more. Ever had a pastor tell you to act out more? We need to act out more in our faith. We need to risk more. We need to stand up and speak out for what we believe. One of the things I love about Peter, though, is that he was this passionate kind of guy, but he learned and he changed. And when you go to the two books that he wrote, First Peter, I love what it says in chapter 3 verses 15 and 16. This is the same Peter. He says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. A whole new Peter here. He's matured. He's changed. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you, against your good behavior in Christ, may be ashamed of their slander. Walk the walk and talk the talk. Next, we got Andrew, Peter's brother. Andrew, also a fisherman from Bethsaida, like his brother Peter, always second to Peter. You never see Andrew's name mentioned before Peter. He was Peter's brother. If you do a New Testament search on the name Peter, you come up with over 200 hits. Do a New Testament search on the name Andrew, you get 14. Eight of those are incidental, just his name in a list of names. So only six of them are, are actually something that is going on. He is the forgotten fisherman. You know, it's so sad because there was Peter and Andrew, brothers. There was James and John, brothers. They all fished. James... John and Peter became Jesus' inner circle. Andrew wasn't on the inner circle. He's the forgotten fisherman. He hardly gets a mention, but here's the key thing about Andrew. Without Andrew, Christianity as we know it would be very different today. Andrew was initially a disciple of John the Baptist. He became the first 
disciple that Jesus called. And the very first thing that Andrew did was go get his brother Peter and say, we have found the Messiah. Way later on, we, we you have that conversation with Jesus. Who do you say I am? Peter speaks up. You're the Messiah. Andrew had told Peter that this was the Messiah way at the beginning of the ministry. He's the one that planted that seed in Peter's head at the get-go. And if Andrew hadn't introduced Peter to Jesus, I think things would have been very different. I love, let me read it to you. It's John chapter 1, verses 35 and 42. It says, the following day, John was again standing with his two disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there's the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. Great question. What do you think you'd say to Jesus if he turned around and looked at you and said, what do you want? Something to consider. What do you want? They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon, and they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ, which means chosen one. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, immediately the focus goes away from Andrew. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means rock. Tradition says that, that Andrew was crucified in the Greek city of Patras around 60 AD on a cross, an X cross, which we now know as the St. Andrew cross. So what do we learn from him? Humility. He was a humble man. There's no record in the Bible of Andrew having a hissy fit because his brother's getting all the attention. Or the other fishermen are getting all the attention. He humbly served without the need for recognition. Next, we have James, the son of Zebedee, another fisherman from Bethsaida. Jesus liked fishermen, brother of John. Also known as James the Greater. Who'd like to be James the Greater? It means some other poor schmuck is James the Less. We'll get to him in a minute. <laughs> James was part of Jesus' inner circle, James, John, Peter. He was the one along with his brother John. There's not much written about him. The stuff that's written about him is not very flattering. He was the one along with his brother John who asked Jesus if they could call down fire upon the Samaritan village that had rejected Jesus. You know, Jesus is teaching them love. He's just taught them about love and humility. Next thing, let's nuke them. <laughs> Jesus rebukes them. James and John are also the disciples who go to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, we know, you know, you just told us that you're going to get crucified. You're going on up there. Uh, you got a couple of spots either side of your throne for us. 
You know, we'd like to be number one and number two. I mean, there, there was not much humility going on with James and, and John in this way. Sadly, James is the only apostle outside of Judas Iscariot whose death is recorded in the Bible. He was a martyr. It says in Acts 12, 2, that Herod had him killed by the sword. Apart from that, not much is known about this James. The James that you see, the book of James, is not this James. That was Jesus' brother that wrote the book of James. So we really don't know very much about him. Jesus nicknamed both of them Sons of Thunder. We don't know why. The two brothers, they are the Sons of Thunder. What do we learn from James? Even when our heart is wrong and we speak out of turn as they did, Jesus loves us and values us immensely. Next, John, James's brother. Usually listed after James, therefore we believe that James was the older brother, John is the younger brother. That's how it was. Both fishermen, Bethsaida, both part of Jesus' inner three. Paul in Galatians refers to James, Peter, and John as pillars of the church. These are big guys in the church. John referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I don't know if that's arrogant or humble, or I really don't know what to make of that. Of course, I think of myself as Jesus' favorite, so <laughs> I'm with him. Theologians believe that he wrote five of the books in the New Testament more than any other apostle. Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. Now, we don't, you know, a lot of times we, we believe these things. We don't actually have anything that proves these things. There's nowhere in there that says this was written by John, except for Revelation. But church history and, and style of writing, we, we believe that he wrote those five books. John was the one who, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he looked at John, he looked at his mother Mary, and said, John, she's your mother. Mary, he's your son. That's how much Jesus appreciated who John was. Take care of my mother, John. That's a big one. Tradition tells us he was the only one who died of old age. Now, what do we learn from him? So James and John were the two that made these silly statements, poured down Newcomb. Can we sit on the left and the right? So initially, he might have seemed a little bit headstrong, somewhat conceited, but that changed, and he became a champion of Christian community and love. There's the theme of light, of community, light, and love all through his writings. If you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, it's love. He talks about light, he talks about love. Light bringing revelation, truth, living in the light, and love being the method by which we bring revelation and truth to the world. 1 John 2.10 says, anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. So he saw himself, he changed, he humbled himself. He didn't see himself above others anymore. He saw himself as part of the community. We're all one. We all live in light. We all live in love. 
So I guess the thing that we learn from John, love's the answer. Love is the way to go. When all else fails, love. Now I'm going to get out of order here and they get shorter because as I go on, we know less because I can see all your days, faces. Like it's 1146. I'm glad there's only 12. <laughs> Next is Thomas. Thomas, known as Didymus or the twin. Now I learned something. Thomas is never named. Thomas is simply, let me make sure I got this right, the Aramaic word that means twin. We don't know Thomas's name. He was simply known as twin. Didymus, the name that we see, is the Greek word for twin. So one of the disciples, all he was ever called was the twin. We call him Thomas. Now, what do we? What's the moniker that we put with Thomas? The doubter. Thomas the doubter. He gets a bad rap. He's really not mentioned that month much. Um, he's mentioned only in the lists in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as Acts. And then John mentions his name seven times on three different occasions. And that's all we know about Thomas. The doubting. The time when Jesus was in the upper room with them. It, it's kind of neat that I put it in there. Yes. And he calls Jesus out. He says, uh, John 14, verses 3, 6 says, When everything is ready, I'll come and get you. So this is where Jesus is saying, In my house there are many rooms. You know, don't worry. He says, When everything is ready, I'll come and get you, so that you'll always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We've got no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? It's, it's such an interesting conversation. You know, Jesus, no, we don't know that stuff. Where are you going? What are you talking about, Jesus? So he's doubting Thomas. He's questioning Thomas. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. But Thomas was also incredibly courageous. When Jesus decided to go back, to, he had been in Jerusalem. They had tried to stone him. He escaped, went back up to Galilee. And then he makes a decision to go back to Jerusalem. And all the disciples are saying, no, no, no. You, they just tried to stone you. Don't go back there, Jesus. They're going to kill you. And when they realize that Jesus is determined, he's going back, Thomas speaks up and says, well, let's all go and die with him. So we don't remember Thomas is the courageous one. He's the doubter. What do we learn from him? It's okay to have doubts and struggles. But we need to be honest with our doubts and struggles. Don't pretend that we know everything. Or we're secure in everything. I'm sure when Jesus was doing that whole thing about, you know the way to where I'm going, I'll bet every one of them was thinking, no, we don't. Don't know where you're going. But Thomas spoke up. We don't know where you're going, Jesus. Which gave birth to Jesus' great statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way to where we're going. I'll come back and get you. So it's okay to have doubts and struggles. What we learn from Thomas is that if we truly seek to know the truth and we're honest about our doubts and our struggles, the Lord will meet us at the point of our doubt, at the point of our struggle, just as he did with Thomas.
and reveal himself to us, reveal his truth. Next, we've got Matthew, known as Levi. Levi is probably his Hebrew name. It was a tribe, the Levites. Matthew, probably his Greek name. He was a crooked tax collector from Nazareth. Now, what's really strange about Matthew is that although we believe he wrote one of the Gospels, he himself is only mentioned seven times in Scripture. But we all know Matthew, right? Oh, Matthew, seven times. That's all he gets. Jesus approaches the tax collector, Bruce. He says to, to Matthew, follow me. Scripture says, Matthew said, okay, left everything and followed Jesus. Next thing, he's having a party for all his crooked tax collectors. Jesus is the guest of honor to introduce all of these people, all of his friends, to Jesus. And in essence, what Matthew was saying to his friends is, I found something better. Better than the big house on the hill. Better than all the money. What do we learn from him? Matthew recognized that to follow Jesus meant giving up his life of compromise and his life of comfort. But for him, it was worth it. He found it worth it to sacrifice everything to follow Jesus. And I think the thing that I get from it, we need to elevate the importance of following Christ in our lives above all those things that we put above Christ. Nothing in our lives should take precedence over following Jesus. All right, we're getting there. Now a dark turn. Judas Iscariot. I learned something about Judas Iscariot that I didn't know before. Iscariot is probably not his name, but the Latin word for traitor is Iscariot. Not quite the same spelling. So probably back in the day, it was Judas the traitor. But we kept the Latin word, and it became Judas Iscariot. So we're saying Judas, and then we're saying a Latin word. Not much positive written about poor Judas. <laughs> he was the treasurer. He was the keeper of the money. It says that he always dipped into the money, taking a little cut for himself. He was the betrayer. He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Then he was overcome by remorse, tried to return the money to no avail, ends up tossing it away, and took his own life. Very sad. The question that haunts me about Judas, it's the old thing. Did he fall or was he pushed? We say that here? Good. Lesson from Judas, think before you leap. It's a biggie, isn't it? Matthias, right out of order. I mention Matthias because he's kind of interesting, and he's a good segue to where I want to finish this up this morning. After Jesus ascended up into heaven, all the apostles are gathered together with the woman, and they're all praying. And then Peter speaks up. He says, we've got to find someone to replace Judas. And I love the, his words are interesting. It's in Acts chapter 1. It says, so now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. 
from the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. Then they narrow it down to two people. Then they take lots, and Matthias wins the lot, and he becomes the new apostle to replace Judas. But here's what I find interesting. Peter tells us that Messiah was with, Matthias was with them the entire time that they were with Jesus. There is no mention of Matthias anywhere in the Gospels and no mention of Matthias anywhere in the Bible after this event. It's the only time that he comes up and yet he was with them for the whole time. Which leads me to the last group of apostles, and we're going to group all the last ones together. Praise God. And I call these the obscure apostles. And then we'll get to the point of everything here. Bartholomew, who was probably Nathaniel. Philip, James the son of Alphaeus, also known as James the Less. Woohoo! Simon the Zealot. Thaddeus, also known as Jude or Judas, the son of James. Five of them. We know nothing about them. There's a little bit about Philip in the Gospel of John. It says that, that Philip was one of John the Baptist's followers. He was the one that went to Nathaniel and said, hey, come see Jesus, Nathaniel. Sorry, have I got that right? It wasn't Nathaniel. Yes, Nathaniel. I can't remember. Just forget all that. He was one of John the Baptists. But outside of that, nothing. They're simply mentioned only in the four lists of apostles. You never hear anything about them. These are the ones that piqued my interest the most. We have no idea what their contribution was. We do know that Jesus selected them after praying about it all night. So it's no mistake that these men were called to be apostles. And yet we know nothing of them. So what do we learn from these obscure apostles and, and Matthias? <laughs> Titles are not really that important. People are important. We don't know what they did, but we can be assured that their contribution is as important as anybody else's. Jesus would never have selected them simply for their names to be in a list. Here's what we learn from them, and it's the lesson of the day. I really want you to catch this. So write it down. Even if you don't have notes, write this down. Who you are in Christ is bigger than who you are. Let me say that again. This is important. Who you are in Christ is bigger than who you are. It'd be good to get up in the morning and say that to yourself every morning. Who I am in Christ is bigger than who I am. Never minimize who you are in the kingdom of God. Never minimize your importance in the kingdom of God. Never minimize your role in the kingdom of God. Don't devalue yourself or your contribution. And don't shy away from your role in the kingdom of God. We all have a role. 
Don't miss out on what he has for you simply because you feel like a no-name. The history of the church is massively filled with unnamed people. There are more unnamed people involved in you and me being here today than Peter, John, Thomas, James, James, Judas, all of these apostles. Some of them in the background, some of them in the foreground. You don't have to be a Peter or a John or a James the Greater. You just have to be who you are in Christ. And you've just got to be willing to let Christ use you. No matter how small that role might be. No matter how big that role might be. Don't shy away from Christ's calling on your life. Whatever it might be. Now you might think you're not worthy. I've got news for you. You're right. You're not worthy. You might think you're not capable. I've got news for you there too. You're not. You might think that you're ill-equipped for service in the kingdom of God. You're absolutely right. You're ill-equipped for service in the God. Service in the kingdom of God. But God doesn't call the equipped. He equips those who respond to his call. That's what we learn from these. You don't have to be a giant in the church. You just have to be who you are in Christ. And then you have to have the courage to stand up and live who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ is bigger than who you are. Amen? All right, look at that. 12 o'clock. You owe me 15 minutes next week. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for these apostles. And I know the Bible lists other apostles later on. The, the, the majority of them, Father, we really don't know very much about. And even the ones that we do know, I mean, there's Peter and, and Paul and John, big names. But most of them, Father, they're anonymous people who served you faithfully. Father, may we not be afraid to be all that we are in your name. Father, I know when I look in the mirror, I see me. But I need to see you. And I need to see you in my life. Father, give us the courage to live the lives that you've called us to live, to live in victory, to live full, and to not shy away from who we are in you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to do the announcements today. Next week, VBS, Vacation Bible School. One of my favorite things of the whole year, we get kids in here, we get to tell them about Jesus. You know, I was thinking about this on the way here today. This is, this is as frontline ministry as you can be involved in. Think about this. These kids are the future of the church. 
If we don't pass on what Jesus, just this apostolic thing, if we don't pass on what Jesus has given to us, to these children, the church dies. It goes away. And we've seen that erosion over the generations. And, and, you know, fewer and fewer people are going to church in America than ever before. This is frontline ministry. You've got to know this. Satan does not want VBS to happen. And when VBS does happen, Satan does not want it to be a success. This is as frontline as you get. I'm not trying to be dramatic, but it's absolutely true. So here's what I need from you. I need you to pray. I need you to pray every day for what happens here in the evening. I need you to pray for the children. I need you to pray for all the volunteers, the workers. It's already started. My daughter Amy was going to be front and center. Calls this morning. She's sick. She's out. Now we're struggling to work around that. Poor Libby is back there biting her nails and pulling out her hair. And Kevin's back there pulling out his hair because he's married to Libby. (laughs) So it's already started. So I need your prayers. Second thing, we need kids. I'm not sure how many are registered. Um, I did a little video yesterday. For me, it doesn't matter whether it's 220 or 200. What matters is that we do the best vacation Bible school that we can possibly do and tell these children about Jesus. I love it. You know, so often I, I sit in my office with people. They'll come to me and, and, and I'll ask them about their, their walk. And so often... I said, well, you know, what happened? Tell me your story. And their beginning with Jesus goes back to vacation Bible school. I hear it over and over and over again. So I know how important it is. If I look at the statistics over the last 10 years, the biggest evangelical movement in this church every year is vacation Bible school. That's when we see most lives change. So be praying about that. We need kids. If you haven't registered your kids, register them. Register your grandkids. Talk to your neighbors. You can register online. You can come here tomorrow. We'll fit you in. So please be in prayer. Now, here's what we're going to do. When we're all done here in a minute, after I finish these announcements, we're going to start turning this into the Jerusalem marketplace. Now, if you've got a pop-up, a small pop-up, I'm glad you've got one. You should use that when you go on a picnic. What do we need? Help. We need help setting it up. We need blankets, I heard. We need sheets. If you'll help, we'll give you pizza. Is that a deal? (laughs) Don't catch his eye. So that's going to happen. So be, be in prayer and then come. Show up. Even if you're not part of it, just come and show up. The more the merrier. It's, it's just great. I love it. I love it every year. What else we got going on? Woman of Joy, Extravagant Grace. Woman of Joy Conference, that's September 16 to 18. See Kelly. Wave Kelly. If you want to be a part of that. It's not too late to sign up. Uh, Becky, Kelly for details. And then Randy is going to be leading Kairos. Kairos is a prison ministry. Going into the prison for a week, end. 
Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'll be there. Um, so I won't be here on that Sunday. Um, we go in there to give the word of God to, to the brothers in white, as we call them. If you want to know more about that, talk to Randy. He's got a table set up out there. You can be part of the closing ceremony, which is pretty awesome. It's the last thing we do on the Sunday. And that, that's what got, he got me. Come and just come to the closing ceremony. And, and then you hear these guys talk about the weekend. And you see the changes. And what really got me is, is when I went in, there was a whole bunch of brothers in white already sitting in there. They were the ones who did it last time, who are now committed to Jesus Christ and are serving the new ones. So you can, you can sponsor a meal. You can be a prayer partner. You can donate to it. It costs about $400. There's no big bank account in the sky. We have to pay for it. Cost about $400 per person. This is how good God is. Did I tell you this story? Yeah. So I was talking to my sister on Thursday. She flew back to England. Brand new Christian, as you all know. And I said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm getting back in gear on what's going on here. And I said, I'm going to be part of this Kairos Prism ministry. I said, I've got to raise $400 and I haven't even started. I come in here. There's a check on my desk, a gift from someone for $400. So thank you, God. And what really pleased me, I could then call my sister right away, a brand new Christian, and say, you know what I said this morning? The exact amount that I said was sitting on my desk when I got in my office. It's like, thank you, God. We still have four or five other people from this church that are part of it. So if you can, uh, you can give by PayPal. You can talk to Randy and um, whatever donation you have. One last thing. On was the survey. September the 11th, 2022. We're going to move the time of this service from 11 o'clock to 10.30. Why are we doing this? Because you're a bunch of whiners. I mean, because <laughs> we figured it's a, a more advantageous time for people. It, it's a better time. 10.30 is a better time than 11 o'clock. I promise I won't take the extra half hour to preach. You get to go to lunch and you get to do things like that. But what we're thinking of doing is adding a Sunday school time. Starting at 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock and then church at 10.30. But I need to know if you're interested in that and if you want to be a part of it. So there's a survey in your bulletin. If you've already filled it out, ignore it. If you haven't already filled it out, fill it out and drop it in the offering as it goes by. So let's take up our offering, please. I was supposed to do that at the beginning, wasn't it? I got my own notes here for everybody. Start the offering before you do the announcements. Father, we just give you thanks for this day. We thank you. I thank you for the faithful servants that we have here, Father. There are, are so many. This church has such a big footprint for a small church of people serving you in various ministries. But all of those ministries cost money. And Father, it is through people's faithfulness and people's obedience in giving that we're able to do ministry. So, Father, as the offering goes by today, I pray that you would stir in each and every person's heart. Help them to know what to do, to do what is right, and to give generously and to give faithfully. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I could sing for you while we do this, if you like.
Oh, what I didn't do. Prayer requests. On the back of your seat is a prayer request. There are three forms. You can put your offering in the envelope. There's a communication form if you're a guest visiting with us for the first time. Please fill that out so we've got a record of your visit. I promise we won't bug you. I'd like to send you a letter to thank you for coming. And then a prayer request. Now, that's already gone by. But if you have a prayer, fill one of these out. Catch one of the ushers. Give it to them. And we have a team that will pray for you. Look how efficient they are. If you're a part of VBS, if you're a volunteer with VBS, please stay here. We're going to have a meeting immediately following this prayer. Please stand. Thank you all for coming. It's been a pleasure to teach you today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every one that you've brought here today. Father, I pray that you would pour out your blessings upon each one. Not that we would be selfish with your blessings, but that we would be a blessing to others. Father, let us be the image of the living Christ, the light and love in a dark, hard world. Let us be different, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you all for coming.